0: Exodus chapter four, which means we've already gone three chapters in Exodus. Uh, This is the story of God's people who had been in slavery in Egypt. But God said, I've heard their groaning. I have something better for them that I've promised for them. And so he's going into Exodus and he's rescuing and delivering his people, not just to come out to a new place, not to come out and have uh, more money or just less slavery. He's rescuing them to himself. He wants this relationship with his people. This is ultimately foreshadowing all that Jesus would do to rescue us out of the slavery of sin and death. And so um, this all points forward to Jesus. We're going to see that again today. So as Israel is, they are slaves in Egypt. And there was one Egyptian man uh, that uh, that was born and he was raised in Pharaoh's family. His name was Moses. And Moses ends up murdering somebody and then having to flee Egypt. And he goes down into the wilderness of Midian, where he ends up um, marrying a woman. And he's living with his father-in-law, tending his father-in-law's sheep. And so while he's out there in the wilderness, he has been shepherding the sheep. And he ends up on this mountain called Mount Oreb or Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. Last chapter, we saw that while he's there, um, God suddenly appears to him out of a burning bush and begins to speak to him identify who he is i i'm the i am i've just always existed go tell the people this is who i am i'm going to go back and i'm going to rescue them and fulfill all the promises that i have foretold and so go back and do this thing so you have a shepherd who's going to be sent back into the superpower nation of all the earth face the most powerful man on our, all the earth who has the most powerful army in all the earth and say let god's people go And so Moses, like any of us, is like, I don't know how this is going to work. And in this chapter, it's going to be identified with the fact that he doesn't feel that he's worthy. He doesn't feel that he's worthy to be this servant of God. So let's take a look at this. This is Exodus chapter four. God has just told him again to go in and and to to tell Pharaoh to let the people go. So it says in verse, uh, uh, verse one, then Moses answered the Lord, but behold, they will not believe me. Or listen to my voice, for they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. So imagine this situation because Moses hasn't been there for 40 years. The scripture actually tells us he had been in uh, Egypt till he was 40. And then that's when he murdered the man and left. And now he's been shepherding for 40 years. So he's 80 years old. Uh, We're told in the scripture that he still had a lot of vigor, that he he didn't wear down. So it wasn't an age thing, which means he shouldn't go back. But at 80 years old, the Lord's telling him to go back. But that's 40 years he's been gone. And the last word that people had back in Egypt was he was a murderer. So if you can imagine the people of Israel watching a murderer come back to them and the murderer steps up and says, hey, God told me to come in and rescue you all. We always think of Moses as this high and lofty prophet, which he was, but his background story was that he was a felon. If you can imagine a felon coming into your house and saying, um, God told me to take your children and go care for them. You'd be like, no, I'm not letting a felon who is a murderer take care of my kids. And so the elders, Moses is saying, they're not going to let me come in there and say it's time. I, I, I'm just not the guy. I'm not the guy. They're not going to listen. They're, they're going to say, you, you did not talk with God. You are making up stories. So that's Moses's argument there. They're not going to listen to me. Look at my record. Look at who I am. They're not going to believe that I've had this conversation with you. Those are stories for Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. They won't believe Moses. I don't have what it takes. So verse two, the Lord said to him, what's that in your hand? And Moses said a staff. And he said, throw it on the ground. So Moses threw it on the ground and it became a serpent and Just like any of us, we don't need the second bar. And Moses ran from it. So I know some of you have a snake phobia, probably would have done the same thing, turns into a snake. Moses runs from it. But the Lord said, verse four, said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it. And it became a staff in his hand that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Again, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe even these two signs, or listen to your voice, Ye you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. And the water that you shall take from the Nile River will become blood on the dry ground. So God's saying, I've spoken with you. I'm telling you to do this, but if they won't believe, I have some signs for you to show them. Here's a staff, throw it on the ground, it becomes a serpent. Um, that's not just some magic trick that Moses is doing. Um, back in Egypt, Pharaoh was represented by a serpent. And so this would have been representing, no, that serpent is in God's control. He will be handled the way God wants him to be handled. And so that's a direct shot Uh, towards pharaoh as well with the leprous hand throughout scripture when god puts leprosy on on people and inflicts them it's because of a judgment issue so in that way it's saying that this is a representation that if god wants to he's going to deal with the pride of egypt he is going to bring a judgment upon that people and then finally when it talks about the Nile River, if if you go and look at Egypt even today, and you look at a map, um, there is there is there is lush vegetation around that river, and it was such a source of productivity for the people of Egypt that that was their life source. That was a that was a, like their um, uh, economical engine, and so God is going to deliver a blow to what was. Uh, their economical engine and and so he is just going after pharaoh he's going after their pride he's going after their um socio-economical lifestyle and god's just saying i'm going to show them i'm going to show the israelites i got this i've got this and so going forward moses yet gives another excuse in verse 10 but moses said to the lord oh my lord I, i'm not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant but i am slow of speech and of tongue um a lot of times this is representative, maybe he stutters, uh, but it actually could be the fact that when he grew up as a young boy, his first language was probably Egyptian, meaning that Hebrew was probably his second language. He probably learned Hebrew as a second language. So he might be going in saying, I'm not not fluent in Hebrew. I don't always get the words right. Uh, Maybe it was that type of issue. But he says to the Lord, I'm not a good speaker. I'm not qualified. So I can't be the one to go in and talk about. I can't be your representative. Verse 11. Then the Lord said to him. Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now, therefore, go and I'll be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But Moses said, oh, my Lord, please send someone else. Uh, Any of you parents, if you've asked your children, And then told your children to do something. And they keep coming back with excuses as to why they can't clean their room. What's your reaction after the third, fourth, fifth, sixth time? Upset. (laughs) You're angry. I have told you to do something. I've given you all the resources to do. Go get the job done. Um, And and here's the Lord's uh, response in verse 14. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? It's your brother. So hopefully they got along as brothers. I don't know if he was angry and it's like, fine, you want to be like that? I'm sending your brother with you. I don't know how it went, but Aaron goes along and they're going together. Um, That verse that said, you shall be as God to him, was not saying that Moses would be a God, but he was God's representative. And so when God spoke to him as a prophet, he would tell Aaron, this is what God says to say. Um, That's how it's being flowed. But then he says at the end, taking your hand, the staff. Take in your hand the staff with which you should do these signs. That staff becomes something important. Remember, Moses was a shepherd. He was used to taking that staff and using it to corral sheep. He was using it for the intended purposes and tool as a shepherd. Now, God says, here is a staff and you're going to use it as a tool. It's going to be a sign. It's going to represent the fact that I'm in this. Now that staff wasn't like suddenly Moses was a great wizard, the great and powerful Moses, where suddenly he could just wield that thing around and turn into a snake and shoot lightning out of it. And there would be some very significant things that happened with that staff at the Red Sea and later on with bringing water from a rock. But God in intending a staff was never using it with wizardry or witchcraft, whereby he could just wiggle it around and manipulate God to do something. What God was saying was, I want you to take the staff because this staff is going to represent my power and my presence in getting this thing done. So, Moses, when you hold this staff, you have to remember this was my idea. I'm going to get it done. And I'm going to be with you every walk of the way as you lean on this staff. So let's go. Get your brother. <laughs> let's go. Uh, going on the verse 18. So Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, go in peace. And the Lord said to Moses in Midian, go back to Egypt for all the men who were seeking your life are dead. So Moses took his wife and his sons and had them ride on a donkey. And he went back to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the staff of God in his hand. So, Moses is going back, and these signs that have been given that he's supposed to do will not only be something to show God's presence and power to the people of Israel, it's also to be a sign to Pharaoh to say, You let these people go because these people are my firstborn. I'm calling them first among all the nations. They're my firstborn. And if you do not let them go, I'm coming for your firstborn, which is foreshadowing what will happen later on in the story. It says in verse 24, at a lodging place on the way. Now, this story gets a little crazy here. It says in verse 24, at a lodging place on the way, the Lord met him, met Moses and sought to put him to death. Now, that seems odd for a moment because God just made a big declaration to Moses. A call upon his life to say, you're done out here in the desert uh, with these sheep. I'm sending you back to Pharaoh. I'm sending you back to Egypt. You're going to call for my people to come out of Egypt. And so go. And so Moses goes and they'll suddenly, as he goes on the way, the Lord seeking to put him to death. Why would that happen? This is why it happens. It's because God is calling a man who's been a murderer. He's calling a man who has been a sinner. He's calling a man who is unworthy not only to do the job that God needs him to do, but is unworthy to even stand in the presence of God under his own merit. And so as he leaves that place, he is suddenly exposed and on mission for God, but he is not qualified in his heart to be with God. In the Old Testament in particular, later on when Moses is given the law, there were actually places called cities of refuge that God sets up in the law. And what these places were, were if there was a murderer, they could run to these these cities of refuge and they could find refuge so that they they couldn't be harmed there. But if they left that city, then game on the, the retribution could come upon that person. So Moses has been in a place of refuge in Midian for some time, even though he still has the record. He now has a call, but he still has the record. And so as he leaves on the way, he's going to do the things of God that God's called him to but he's not right in his heart yet. So God says, I'm going to strike him down. That's a bad place to be in. When it seems like, I should be doing the things of God, but he is he is after me. And the reality is all of humanity is that way unless we have help, unless we have that amazing grace, unless somehow that is made right with our sin before God. We are in trouble and we will be struck down. There would be nothing then to give us refuge. We may for a time in this world be able to live and eat and breathe and go do holidays and do all this. But there will be a day if there is not something that saves us from our sin, that we will come into a place exposed and God will remove us from life. We will suffer death and we will suffer his wrath unless there is something that rescues us. And so Moses, as he leaves this place of refuge, he's out in the open. He's on the way and on the way. It says that the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. But in verse 25, then Zipporah, that's his wife, took a flint. That's a really sharp knife made out of flintstone, took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin. I'll let you look that up on your own. Cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses's feet with it and said, surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. And so God let him alone. It was then that she said, a bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. So there's lots of stuff that's kind of seems crazy right there. But what was happening is as Moses goes and he's exposed before God and God sees him as a sinner, God sees him as somebody who's not. Qualified not to just to go on mission, but to live in his holiness, his wife suddenly realizes he, he needs something to cover his guilt. And so she goes to her son. And, and I don't know all the cultural, there, there there's some instances in, in the old times when in-laws would do a, a circumcision procedure as some type of, of inclusion of the person coming into the family. So she runs, I don't know if it's out of, she doesn't know what else to do, grabs the knife, cuts the foreskin, takes it and touches it and, and touches blood. Puts blood on Moses. Takes somebody else's blood and puts it onto the one who is guilty. Does that sound familiar? Because the Bible says that God took His one and only Son. When we all stand here, exposed as sinners before God, and aren't qualified to do diddly squat, we stand here as ones who are deserving of death, deserving of His anger and wrath, and What would happen to us if we had no refuge? We would stand out in the open and he would squash us. But it says that he did give his own son and that his son did bleed and die and that God takes that blood. And when he comes to save you, when you're out in the open and you need help by his amazing grace, he comes with that blood and he touches you and he forgives you and the blood guilt is gone from you and you are set free. That is the rescue. Now, it wasn't the blood of the son They would ultimately rescue Moses. This is a sign that for a moment stays the hand of God's wrath, but ultimately what must happen in Moses, which is the same for all of us, is to say, by faith. By faith, I trust that God has done what is satisfactory for my sin to be dealt with. And by faith, Moses applies that belief. And by faith, Moses' sin was taken off him and put unto Jesus. Even though Jesus hadn't come yet. It's all being applied to Jesus. So we have the story. Moses is being called. He's headed towards Egypt, but there needed to be an encounter. There needed to be a moment when when Moses recognized I am a sinner. I can't keep covering this up because people are going to come. And now God's come after me. And God said, yes. Right now, I'm going to overlook that sin because I see blood. And It was all the picture of the blood of Jesus and Moses just eventually saying, I just need God's grace. By faith, I need healed in my heart. So here comes Moses. Finally, it says in verse 27 The Lord said to Aaron, this is his brother, go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and met Moses at the mountain of God and kissed him. And Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord which he had sent him to speak and all the signs that he had commanded him to do. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all Israel, uh, excuse me, all the elders of the people of Israel. Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people and the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and they worshiped. I love that God takes a man who's alone. This guy, I, I imagine that he was a lonely fellow in a lot of ways. Didn't get to live with his parents after a while. Had to go to Pharaoh's. After a while, I had removed from there. He has to go live in the wilderness. Now he's out with the sheep. He's all alone. Now he's he's taken back in. Any of you struggle with being alone? Let me tell you something. Sometimes that alone place can be a gift. Because it's in those moments when God has to deal with you. God eventually has to come and say, even though it looks like you're you're alone, even though the Hebrews might not want you, even though the Egyptians might not want you, even though the sheep don't even obey you all the time, I'm here. And we're going to deal with it how it needs to be dealt with. And so I love that God, even later on in one of the greatest shepherding moments in all the scripture in Psalm 23 David, the shepherd, writes, even though I walk in the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. And what's the next line? Your rod and your staff are with me. They comfort me. And here you have Moses. Who has a record. He's alone. He has a big task in front of him. and God says, take the staff of God. Take the call I have put upon you. And my power and my presence are going to go with you. And then he steps out to go on the way. And just as God comes to strike him dead, there's this sudden, beautiful, confounding story where blood is touched to Moses. And he realizes that as he goes, he will go not alone. He will get to be in the presence of God without guilt. He gets to be there. Sometimes the loneliest place for people is in the pew. The church can be a lonely, lonely place for people. Part of that loneliness comes from thinking, my record is way too bad. There's no way the people around here want to be with me. There's no way God wants to be with me. And the Lord takes his staff and he corrects us and he comforts us and he brings us to himself. And he says, the whole world may abandon you. And in fact, I've told you, you're going to be a sojourner in exile, but I'm bringing you to Jesus. I'm bringing you to the cross. I'm bringing you to my blood. I'm bringing you to freedom. I am bringing you to operate in my holiness. I'm bringing you to know my name. I'm bringing you to sing my songs. I'm bringing you to go as my witness. I am bringing you not, not just so that you'll be alone, You'll be with me, even if everybody else abandons you. We are called to be with God. And God's desire now is for not only Moses to go in and tell all the people of Israel, come out and go free and go to a land where you can have your own farm, you can have your own cattle, you can have your own time. It's no, come out to the land and you get to be with God. Get to be with him. And the Lord may be doing some things in your life where it's really difficult, but in that difficulty, ultimately, God's desire is to bring you close to him. The whole world may turn its back on you, but the Lord wants you to be with him. And so the scripture says, if there's anything that's holding you back from that, any sin, anything that's entangling you, just put it off. Go and put your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Who for the joy set before him. Scoring the shame of the cross. And he went there for you and me so that he could bring us into that relationship. Today, we close with this fact that that God doesn't say, I've done all this stuff and now you're way over there. He actually uses some really dear and tender terms in the scripture, especially as Jesus comes and he's sitting with his disciples. And he says, I call you friends. You know what friend indicates to me? Not an enemy. Not loneliness. Friend indicates nearness, intimacy, love and care. And that God would sit with us and say, I call you friend. And he did that by forgiving you. He does that by every day sustaining you with his rod and his staff comforting you. That every step of the way you might know his power and his presence. So today, as we close, we're actually going to sing a song. What a friend I have in Jesus. And it relates a lot towards prayer. The scripture says we're to be praying all the time. I imagine every step on the way back to Egypt, God was letting Moses be a friend. Guilt is gone. There's a task before him. But they were having some really great time. Not alone anymore, but as a shepherd with his sheep. This morning, maybe you need to crawl into the shepherd's arms. And remember what a friend he is to you and just call upon his name. Maybe today you need to call upon him to forgive you of sin. Say, Lord, I I need that forgiveness. Maybe today you've felt distant from the Lord and you just need to kind of crawl close and remember what he's done for you. In order that he might have a relationship with you. Maybe you've allowed the burdens of life. All the different things that go on to, to, to suck the life out of you and draw you away. And he's he's beckoning you and saying, no, 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 come come near. And the greatest miracle that God can do isn't changing a staff into a snake or a hand into leprosy and then back again or changing the Nile from water into blood. The greatest miracle that he can do today is to change your heart from selfishness and sin and polluted lies into one that believes Him, into one that's been rescued and saved and cleaned and cleansed. That's the greatest miracle. And so let's that, let that happen to us today as we sing together. Please stand with me as we sing. What a friend we have in Jesus. and.